This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. At that point, I considered it a journey to get to an end goal, and I have these people to support me, and I can support them. The end goal of not being gay anymore. Uh, yes, of not being gay. This is Death, Sex, and Money. He's meditating. No, he's not. He's like dead, man. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. I can't believe what a bunch of nerds we are. We're looking up money laundering in a dictionary. And need to talk about more. You don't know first thing about love. I'm Anna Sale. Benji Unger and Chaim Levin are really good friends. Almost like platonic dating. They grew up just a few miles apart in Brooklyn. But they didn't meet until about nine years ago, when Benji was 20 and Chaim was 18. I tell people that we met in a closet, and he hates it. He literally— I don't every, hate it. He hates it. It's he just yells like, at me. He's like, stop it, and why do you do that? But I think it's really funny because we met in a place where uh, the goal of being there was to stay in darkness. They were both raised in big Jewish families that followed strict Orthodox rules. They went to religious schools, yeshivas, through high school and beyond— Back then, they wore traditional Orthodox dress, white shirts, black pants, and wide-brimmed black hats. Chaim and I grew up in different sects of uh, Orthodox Judaism. Um, mine was probably a little bit, a little bit more liberal, but it, 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 not with in the case of of being gay. There was no such a thing as being gay, and um, you know, it's not you know, it's one thing if something is talked about. The problem is it didn't exist. And when something's, in, you know, when some, when you're going through this inner turmoil and it doesn't exist in the world around you, that's torture. When they were teenagers, Benji and Chaim responded differently to their attraction to other young men. Chaim acted on it and learned it wasn't safe to talk about. I had confided in a close friend uh, because something had happened between me and another friend, something sexual. And a man. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, uh, he, my friend who I told, told someone else, and he told someone else, and then there I was, persona non grata. It was very, it was, it was like really, it was pretty awful. Uh, one Friday night, a guy started yelling at me in front of like fifteen people, like Chaim Levin, you're, you know, you're, you're a faggot, and. Uh, no one stood up for me. Benji took another approach. He tried really hard to be straight. I, I was being approached to being set up on dates with these girls, and 
I was like, oh my God, there's a problem. And I became extremely dep depressed because of it. Um, I was very depressed, very anxious um, about all that because I knew that there was something different about me and I couldn't be like other the other guys in the school. How did you first try to deal with it during that phase? Like, I, what do you remember? If I was attracted to a guy, I would like try to like, shake it out of my head and say, this is not real. This is not a real attraction. It's disgusting, etc." And if I would see a woman, I would try to like kind of go, even though I wasn't attracted initially, I would try to go a step further in my head and become attracted to the woman. It worked to an extent. I mean, I didn't become not gay, but there was a point where it was very hard for me to be intimate with a guy because my brain would automatically shut down if I got an erection. Right. So actually, yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it actually worked to a horrible, in a, in a horrible way. Both Benji and Chaim decided they needed help. They talked to their parents who connected them to rabbis and therapists. One rabbi told me that uh, he's heard of this before and this is a chemical imbalance and there's treatment for it in hospitals. Um, another rabbi told me that physical attraction doesn't really mean so much anyways in marriage and as long as she you know she cooks well and she you know she uh you know she cares for you and and raises your children well that's enough to have a great fulfilling marriage and if and if you have friction it will work those were his words like he didn't get into detail but it's like well, I'm gonna say is if there's friction it works you know <laughs> um <laughs> And uh, that, that, I think that actually made me a little bit more depressed because I was like, it was so outrageous. Benji and Chaim separately made their way to a conversion therapy program for Jewish men that was called Jonah, an acronym for Jews offering new alternatives to homosexuality. It was led by a man who they were told was a rabbi and a doctor, though he was unlicensed. It was like, I struck gold. You know, wow, I finally found, like, my Messiah. For that, for that moment, I was very happy and inspired, actually. I felt great. And it was here, at Jonah, where Benji and Chaim first met. Chaim and I kind of connected right away. Um, and I remember even he drove me home that night. And we had this stupid conversation about we both may believe we're into sports and we were talking about the Yankees and we Wait, even neither of you are actually into sports I was more than him I would say but he was into sports back then yeah. and I was very little and now I am a lot more actually so you and were I'm pretending and you were not well, pretending I right. wouldn't call it pretending but like we had this macho conversation about you know sports I bro. wouldn't call it macho and Chaim what did you notice about Benji when when you first met him Benji was just like he really was like one of the one of those bros from high school that that was just so regular and nobody would guess that he's gay. At least that's what I was thinking back then. You know, he was so straight acting, totes so to mask bro. That's how yeah. That's how well, to and it. and like, and for some reason, like I wasn't ever attracted to him. Just to get I'm sure, every, everyone, whatever, but. I was attracted to the idea of being his friend. I was like, I want to be friends with this guy, like, because he's so cool. And we actually did, like, uh, at one point in one of the group sessions, we did what they call a clearing, where you hold a staff and you face each other and, like, a staff like a <clears throat> big wooden stick. big wooden stick, and you tell each. It's meant. It's usually used for like when you're attracted to someone in the group. You could have a clearing and talk about. Uh, your perceptions towards them and about, and that's supposed to make you unattracted to someone, which is bullshit. But anyway, um, I did it, I did a clearing with Benji because I just wanted to be his friend and, uh, didn't believe that, uh, I was 
worthy of having a cool friend like Benji. <laughs> that was basically my impression. It's actually really funny hearing this, though, because I don't think I was ever more insecure than during that period. I was a mess during that then. So it just goes to show how, like, perception is, is everything. I, I didn't think I looked with it or to, all, like, put together at all. We were but. just two peas in a pod. And we've stayed that way ever since. (laughs) Benji had doubts about whether the program was going to work for him, especially when he saw how well Chaim seemed to be responding to treatment. It seemed like he was more, to me at least, and again, perception is everything, it seemed like he was more clear and more, I would say, into the Jonah program than I was. I, I was a true believer. I was like really like I not only was I a true believer, I was so enthusiastic. My God, I drank the Kool-Aid. I I you know, I got like food poison from the Kool-Aid. And 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 for many people like me who who were rejected by everyone around us for so long, we were treated like dirt. And suddenly you're 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 away with all these people who share so much of your pain, and the only thing you really have are things like group sessions at Jonah, where you can sort of reconnect to that energy and community of men. At the time, I think maybe that was just, I needed that in a way, and like I just needed that connection with people. That's what I think what was uh, one of the things that was very cruel about Jonah was that they targeted people who didn't know anything about this stuff. I mean, I know that uh, there are all types of people who go to conversion therapy, but in large part, it's people who come from backgrounds that don't teach them about sexuality. And they were the first people to ever tell us, oh, you know, it's, it's going to be okay. It's going to get better. Coming up, what happened after Benji decided to give up on conversion therapy? I never believed it 100%, even though I was in it. I was just extremely desperate. Did you the, tell Chaim that it wasn't, that you were having these doubts about the program? I, I, no, it is it, it something you don't talk about, actually. It, you kind of just, like, keep it to yourself. Because if you do doubt it, then there's something wrong with you. I'm getting ready to leave New York this week. I'm packing up after almost seven years. About a month after I landed here, when I was still regularly getting lost on the subway and learning about this strange city where people are totally cool with not having a washer and dryer, this song came out. I remember going to the park near my apartment and feeling this song follow me because so many people were playing it at barbecues or out of car windows. It was so inspiring and terrifying, because I didn't know how to live here. Now, as I've been getting ready to leave this city, the Carter family has been getting me through again. This time, Beyonce Knowles Carter. I've been spending a lot of time with Lemonade as I take my last subway rides as a full-time New Yorker and know exactly where I'm going. Beyonce brings the same kind of swagger as Jay-Z, but hers is mixed with humiliation, furious anger, uncertainty, and rebuilding. I'ma keep running because the winner don't quit on themselves. 
seems an appropriate bookend to my time in New York. You made me curse you so many times, but God, you made me strong. So now we head west. Arthur and I decided it was easier to move a pregnant lady than a newborn and two new parents. That also seemed to be the consensus from many of you who've done similar moves. Nothing's going to change in how you get the show, of course, and I'll keep you updated on other changes as they come. On the next episode, actor Jeff Daniels. He tells me about his struggle with alcohol addiction, about living far away from the entertainment industry, and about his vasectomy after his wife had their third child. I had watched her go through childbirth three times. I said, there is no way I am going to force you or ask you to do anything. I said, I'm the one. I got to be the one who gets fixed. And I remember laying there, and he had just snipped the first tube. And you could hear it snip. Oh, you heard it. Oh, you heard it. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things is unmatched. And she does it in her signature, hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, or just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash DeathSexMoney. We are so excited to see you there. I'm Shankar Vedantam, here to tell you about a great mystery. That mystery is you. As the host of a podcast called Hidden Brain, I explore big questions about what it means to be human. Questions like, where do our emotions come from? Why do so many of us feel overwhelmed by modern life? How can we better understand the people around us? Discover your hidden brain. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. After a few months of conversion therapy sessions, Benji Unger was less and less sure that his counselors could come through on their promise to help him not be gay, because the treatment wasn't making sense to him. The things that they say are the reasons that cause 
people to be gay, most of them didn't apply to me. Um, yet they tried to convince me that they did. So the typical example was not close to your father, right? You're not close enough to your father. I am and I've always been extremely close to my father, too close to your mother. Um, as one therapist said, if that was the reason to become gay, every Jewish person in Brooklyn would be gay. <laughs> um, so, you know, so that didn't really work. You know, this thing about like masculinity where you're not masculine enough, I mean – I, I mean, like I said before. Have you seen him? So it's mask, bro. But like <laughs> uh, they mentioned that I should go to the gym to get more masculine, which is insane because no group of people goes to the gym more than gay people in New York City. So like nothing made sense. But I kept I kept going at it. And then I, I was getting more and more depressed, more and more depressed. I was getting suicidal. Um, and I said, oh, this is not this. This isn't as what, you know, what they made it out to be in the beginning. Benji tried to find some answers through an email listserv where other young men struggling with their sexuality shared stories and tried to help each other. One email in particular stood out. His post was, hey guys, so I've been in conversion therapy now for 15 years, and I think I'm starting to see some progress. And everyone was like, good job, yay, go you, whatever. And I'm just like, wait, this is inspirational. I mean, this person has been doing this for 15 years and he thinks he might be starting to see progress. If this is success, I don't want to be part of this anymore. Chaim's breaking point came later, after Benji had already left Jonah. In what would be one of Chaim's final private sessions with the program, a counselor told him to stand in front of a full-length mirror. He had to say one negative thing about his body and then take off a piece of clothing. This went on until Chaim was fully undressed, staring at himself naked. According to court documents, the counselor then told Chaim to hold his penis to feel his masculinity. When I left that room that day in October uh, in 2008, you know, I said, I'm just never going to talk about this and just pretend it never happened. But eventually I couldn't, uh, you know, I couldn't ignore it and I started like there was just this, this survival instinct inside me that just said, I, I can't continue going. Within a few months, Chaim was out to his family and friends. But for Benji, leaving the therapy at Jonah didn't mean he was ready to accept that he was gay. Not yet. So when I left Jonah finally, um, I was thrown out of Jewish school because I told my rabbi that I'm leaving. And he's like, if you don't, that, he said, if you, if you leave, you're a danger to the boys in the school. So I said, OK, I'm out of here. I left. And then there was a good few month period where I, 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 I wasn't I wasn't out, but I wasn't in. I was like in this really depressing middle ground. I had no fr- I lost little, I literally lost all my friends. It's called no um, man's land. We called it that. No man's land. You're kind of in between. Uh, so I Where were I, you living? I was living in uh, living with my mom still actually with in, your in, in Brooklyn with my mom, yeah. And what I did was I was so desperate for any kind of friendship or people knowing people I was gay. I uh, I put a post on Craigslist. Um, now this it sounds shady, and I actually put the post on the men seeking men section. But um, this wasn't a typical Craigslist post. Um, the title of the post was um, "Choking in the Closet," and I wrote like a four like paragraph essay about what I'm going through. I need help. I I got like a 
a few hundred responses, actually. And then, then I saw that Chaim was out, actually. And he, like, one thing about Chaim, you know, when Chaim does something, boy, does he do it. <laughs> so um, so when, when he was out, you know, he was, you know, the rainbows here and rainbow glitter here and the rainbow yarmulke and rainbow bracelets and rainbow necklace. And I was like, okay, but he, he seemed happy. I wasn't going to go to that extent, but I f- kind of followed him. And then then we started discussing what happened. Uh, because, you know, in 2010, no one had any idea what was going on at these places. I'm, no, When you Googled, you know, it wasn't even called. It was called reparative therapy. I would think to myself, if people only knew what was going on here, like, it, it, you know, no one, nobody would go. Benji and Chaim, along with two other former clients, decided to sue Jonah and its counselors. It was a consumer fraud lawsuit. They argued that the program failed to keep its promise to help gay men overcome same-sex urges. Attorneys for Jonah argued that neither Chaim nor Benji stayed with the program long enough to see results. They said the program never guaranteed it could change anyone's sexual orientation. Like, I would not have survived this lawsuit without this schmuck right here. We used to, you know, go into court every day, and then we would come back to the hotel, and we would just sit there and laugh our asses off about, like, can you believe we are literally in the middle of a lawsuit? We have 14 lawyers and a whole jury and a judge, and and, and, and our, our stories are the things that are being debated. We didn't laugh because any of this is funny. This is all horribly, horribly sad. I mean, there were moments in that courtroom where – uh, I just wanted to scream, and you know, I remember, I remember during their closing statement by our lawyer turning around and seeing Benji just bawling and bawling, and it just broke my heart because this was such a so crazy and and deep and and personal. In the summer of 2015, a jury unanimously agreed with Benji and Chaim. A judge ordered Jonah to close a few months later. During the trial, Chaim and Benji stayed close to their families and the neighborhoods they grew up in. But they've started to build lives very separate from the Orthodox tradition. Benji works as a bartender at a nice restaurant in Manhattan. He wants to open up his own bar someday. Chaim has become an LGBT activist and blogger and recently signed up for a few college classes. Has there been a sense of loss, a feeling like you don't fit in the communities that you came from anymore? In the beginning, yes. Now, not at all. I am so happy. You know, forget the gay thing. I'm happy that I'm able to live in a world where I can make my own choices, not to fit into a box. Do you feel that way, Chaim? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I didn't feel like I missed it. But at the same time, I wanted them to understand me. But what happened um, over these last few years, especially recently... Uh, the community that I come from is changing in ways uh, on personal levels. Like once it becomes personal, once it's your friend or your cousin or your, you know, then uh, then you 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 have to become a little more open minded as as like even my parents did. You know, my parents are down with the gay now, but uh, it took them time. You both grew up with such a specific version of what family looks like. Do you think about what kind of family you you want to have in your adult life? I feel like, you know, the traditional part of me doesn't really can't really go away completely, which is that which I'm fine with. So 
I definitely do want a family, meaning I, I want um, a husband and I want – I think I want kids. But I, but the beauty of the life – again, this is another reason why I'm happy I'm outside the box now is that I can decide when that is. Um, I think having kids would be awesome. Um, my mother cannot complain about not having enough grandkids because of me. She has 13. My brother just had his ninth kid. Um, all right. She's doing just fine. So I have the ability to wait and give her her 25th grandkid when I'm ready. So that's good. (laughs) And what do you want? I mean, I I have nine nieces and nephews and for a long time I've kind of been on the fence about kids in the in general, I, I'm terrified of the idea of having kids because I'm terrified that I won't be able to protect them from all the evils that this world has to offer. Um, at the same time, I I don't know. It's 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 definitely something I'm open to. Um, you know, I've had some relationships that didn't quite work out, and I, you know, <laughs> um, you, have another, I, you have another three hours to uh, <laughs> talk about this dude. But, but you know, I. I We'll see. We'll see what happens, I guess. I'm I'm open-minded. Do you talk about your love lives with each other? We definitely talk about it. We talk about everything. Well, yeah. I mean, we've at at different points in our lives, we've uh, both had to deal with each other's disgruntled exes of sorts. <laughs> oh, because you're so close. It's yes. like a threat. Yes. 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 Where they like came complaining to me or Complaining to him, etc. And the beautiful yeah. thing is, Chaim and I definitely have very different types. So yeah. we're never competition. We're, you know, we're never, <laughs> nope. There's never an issue of that. Yeah. Well, the, you couldn't get more further on the spectrum as far as types go with us. So. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are like polar opposites. Chaim is very out there. It's very I'm, out there. And, and if it weren't for people like Chaim, I might be still in the closet. You know, you need that. You need that balance. I tell people that the only good thing I ever got out of Jonah was this guy. Here we go. No, it's true. It's and true. Met, the, and we met true. in the closet. That's the other thing. No, no, no. But really, I mean, like, you know, I think that, like, you know, I, I'm, I don't know how or if I would have met him or even if I would have met him in a different context if our friendship would be this way. But, um, you know, I think that we're kind of stuck with each other forever now and it's great. <laughs> Benji Unger and Chaim Levin. You can read more about their experiences with Jonah and their trial in a Newsweek piece by Zoe Schlanger. There's a link on our website at deathsexmoney.org. And thank you, Zoe, for your help with this episode. Conversion therapy is now banned in New Jersey, California, Illinois, Oregon, and Washington, D.C. And in February, New York State prohibited health insurers from covering conversion therapy. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios. The team includes Katie Bishop, Chester Jesus Soria, Emily Botine, Hannah McCarthy, Andrew Dunn, and Rick Kwan. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death, Sex, Money. And if you like our show, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. And while Benji bartends, Chaim has found a new passion he never would have anticipated when he was younger. Dog walking. Growing up in that community, uh, most people don't have dogs. And I was terrified of dogs. From that, uh, I became, I mean, the craziest dog lover in the world. I'm actually, I, I my, my Facebook 
page is loaded with dog selfies. So it's like I write about gay rights, sexual abuse, education, and then I kind of balance it out with with, uh, dog pictures because it's all about balance. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC.